So if you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Acts chapter 10. And you know, we're going to cover the whole chapter today, so don't freak out. But it's interesting how uh, a lot of people out there, they think that you can't really teach the Bible like through the Bible on a Sunday morning. They think that you have to do little snippets here and there and topical studies. But um, I think you guys, uh, you proved them wrong, huh? We can actually go through a good chunk of the Bible and, uh, and come away blessed. And so to me, that's an encouragement to know that you guys have a hunger for God's Word. And what we do here at Calvary Chapel is we do our best just to teach through the Bible. And so today we're here in Acts chapter 10, Great lessons for us, um, but I was thinking about this one individual as we get started today. He was a church member. He was a minister. He was actually the son of a minister. He belonged to a religious club over at Oxford University when it was uh, a university that loved the Lord, and the purpose of that club was the perfecting of the Christian life. This guy went on to become a foreign missionary, and he preached the, the Lord all around the world but as he was doing all those things, he was not saved. Think about that. But on May 24, 1738, he reluctantly attended a small meeting in London where someone was reading aloud from the commentary on Romans, and John Wesley said it was about a quarter to nine, and he says, well, while well, he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And that day, John Wesley was saved. And he went on to become an evangelist. Uh, we have a, I think we have a picture of him and, you know, for the rest of his life, uh, they said he traveled on the average 4,000 miles a year, uh, walking on horseback. Uh, he, by the end of his life, preached 40,000 sermons. He was a man who said the world was his parish. But prior to that day, you know, prior to May 24, 1738, he was religious. He was moral. He was respectable. But he was not saved. There's a lot of people, they're going to go to church, but when they die, they're not going to go to heaven because you've got to know for sure that you know the Lord. You know, his is a fascinating story, and the reason I bring him up is because we'll see something similar today with this man named Cornelius, and I pray that we would open our hearts. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the person next to you thinks. What matters is what God knows. You know, you're parents might be saved or your kids or your spouse it doesn't mean that you're saved you know you come to church you might be here three times a week doesn't really mean you really know the lord and it's my responsibility for us to do a check we have to check our hearts because man the worst thing in the world would be yeah i went to Calvary chapel and you know i was there every week and then and then you know when you die you find out that you really didn't know the lord you know, maybe you're a good person, you know, comparatively or relatively speaking. You're benevolent. You know, you like helping people, you know, and you give to charity and donations and you believe maybe even in the existence of God. And you might even be religious. Uh, from a biblical standpoint, you know, that's great, but it's not grace. And it doesn't secure you a place in heaven. 
what we find in the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that it's good for all of us to examine our lives and to make sure that we're not just religious, that we trust in Christ, truly trust in Him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And so we're going to see that today. I hope it's okay that you don't, we, don't, we just re-examine our life, making sure that we know Him, and we're going to see some things that we need to look for when we're really Christians. We're going to see that. And we're also going to see how God loves everyone. He loves the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. He loves the Mexicans, the Chicanos. He loves the Palestinians. He loves uh, people we would categorize as the best of the best and the worst of the worst. God shows no partiality. He loves everyone equally. He loves all of you, even though I'm his favorite. He loves <laughs> us all, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit even about uh, what's going on today in, in Syria and, and Russia and Israel and all those things. It's amazing how all this is coming to pass in the days that we live in. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the, the Damascus, this capital of Syria, is the oldest continuous existing city in the world. And the Bible says that in the last days, Russia aligned with Iran would invade Israel. And we see everything kind of getting ready but it's okay, because people are like, well, then you shouldn't go to Israel, because there might be a Russian invasion. No, read Ezekiel 38. The, the Jews win the war, because <laughs> God intervenes. But you know what? It's a sign of the times. When that invasion takes place, it could happen at any time. We believe, because of the fact that they say that they're going to recover seven years of, of, uh, of basically energy from the weapons that they get, that that's probably right around the same place, that the, the same time that the rapture takes place. So all I got to say is when you see all these going on, all these things going on, you, you better be ready. And today we're going to see that, you know, you, you got to make sure that you're saved and not just going to church, not just religious, not just moral, not just respectable, not just one who gives to donations or benevolent or charities. No, do you really know the Lord? And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we read in Acts 10, in verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so verse 1 mentions Caesarea. I'm so excited because we're going to be there in three days, man. And uh, Luke tells us here that there was this man who was a centurion, uh, which means he was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. And this man feared God along with his family. He gave to charity. He uh, practiced 1 Thessalonians 5.17 before Paul ever wrote it. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. 
this guy, it says he prayed to God always. And so uh, we see he's probably Italian. He's a Roman uh, soldier, centurion. He's a Gentile, which means he wasn't a Jew. And God is about to use his life to tell the world that he's going to now do something new. He's on the verge of opening the door of salvation to the Gentiles. It's been about 10 years since Christ has died, and they really haven't gone out to the world. They've gone to Judea, they've gone to Samaria, but they haven't really gone to the ends of the earth. And so with this story is, is, is so epic. In verse 3, we see that it was the, the ninth hour of the day, so it's 3 p.m., and an angel appears to Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius saw him clearly, it says, in a vision, and he called him by name. Of course, Cornelius was afraid, but the angel comforted him with the fact that his prayers and his alms had come up as a memorial before God. And so uh, the memorial is an interesting word. It speaks of a memory of a person that's preserved. And so, in other words, God is saying, I, I see what you're doing. I, I hear the prayers you're praying. Uh, and I'm not going to forget you. And there's going to be a memorial to you. And so the angel sends uh, from uh, the angel sent from God tells Cornelius to then send to Simon, who's also known as Peter, who was staying in Joppa. It's about 30 miles away. And then he would tell him what he must do. And so Cornelius follows through. He sends the few guys on their way because God's about to do something great. And so we read next in verse 9, that God is working on the other end. In verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and then he became very hungry, wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up, into heaven again. And so as those guys are on their way to Peter, the very next day, Peter goes up to the housetop to pray. It's, uh, it's 12 noon, which probably means that it's lunchtime, so he's hungry. He might even be hangry. You never know, right? And while he's there, um, the food is being prepared downstairs. The Bible says that Peter falls into a trance. Now, this particular Greek word sometimes is translated to be amazed or is translated amazement. Uh, a couple of times in the book of Acts, it speaks uh, of a trance. Right here uh, for Peter, later for Paul in Acts twenty-two seventeen, it says, while he prayed in the temple, he fell into a trance. And so you're like, well, what's a trance? A trance is kind of like a subconscious state. In this case, the trance is like an entrance into a godly experience where you know, the dimension is split. The door to heaven opens and Peter sees this sheet with the four corners being let down before him. Now, the four corners, you connect that to Revelation 7, verse 1, Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. It speaks of something that applies to all the people on planet Earth. And so it's let down to Earth and on the sheet is all these 
you know, four-footed animals, wild beasts, insects, and, and birds and things like that. And so, you know, in, in case you're wondering, uh, this was not, because you're like, well, Peter was hungry. That's why he dreamed about food. No, it wasn't a fleshly dream of Peter's. It was spiritual. It was radical because he was a kosher Christian Jew at the time. It wasn't that he was hungry for food. It was that the Gentiles were hungry for God. This is what this is all about. And so what God does is God begins to stir them up and God begins to stir Peter up. And he spoke to him and Peter heard the voice. And I believe he recognized the voice, you know, because, you know, when you, you know somebody, you know their voice. He knew that voice. That's Jesus' voice. And Jesus said, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, you know, not so, Lord, which we know is an oxymoron, right? I mean, how can you say no to the Lord? I mean, that's a contradiction. It reminds me of the time that Jesus told his disciples that he had to die, and Peter basically said the same thing, not so, Lord. The other time when Peter, uh, the Lord told the Peter and the guys that you know, they would deny him, and again, Peter basically said, not so, Lord. Um, here he is again. But this is probably a little different. I think we have to like cut him some slack because he'd never eaten these things before. He'd never had bacon. He never had sausage McMuffin with egg. You know, he never had chorizo. You know, he didn't. He didn't know that model that that motto that says a day without bacon is a day without sunshine. He didn't know those things, right? He always had the Levitical law. He always stuck to the diet of the Jews. And so when he sees all these forbidden food, he, he tells the Lord right there in verse 14, he says, I have never, ever eaten anything common or unclean. To which the Lord responds, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And then we read in verse 16 that this whole thing was done three times. And you wonder why three times? Because the Bible says that by the testimony of three witnesses, every word will be established. And so this is, this is for sure, man. This is something that God is doing that's big time. It says that in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, and again in Matthew 18, verse 16, and 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And so Peter comes out of the trance, and then we read in verse 17, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision uh, which he had had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. And they called, and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit spoke to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear his words from you. And he invited them in and lodged them. And the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And so when you look at this thing and this story, we're going to go through a whole chapter today. It's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's really big. I mean, like you have 
Cornelius who receives a, a vision. He sees it clearly. Um, you know, the, the angel speaks to him. Then Jesus comes and he speaks to Peter. He's in a trance. I mean, God is really communicating very clearly. Um, and then the Holy Spirit, you know, speaks to Peter right here while he's, you know, thinking about these things right at the same time. These guys found the house. They're there at the gate. They're asking for Peter. I mean, God is doing something good. I mean, three times he makes sure that to tell them that this is really important. It's clear. It's established. Don't doubt anything. Peter, go with them. And so Peter then goes out to the gate. Uh, I'm Peter. Why'd you come? And they tell him about Cornelius like we've read today, a devout man, one who feared God, spoken well of by the Jews, how he was divinely instructed by an angel to summon him to his house. And so there's a lot of things, you know, for us, we read this and we think it's not a big deal, but all these things, I mean, that Simon was hanging out with Simon the Tanner, even that right there, or to invite them into their house to stay or then being willing to go to their house. Those are things we're going to see later that most people didn't, didn't do. Believe it or not, back in the day, for the most part, the world, the whole world was racist. But Jesus comes and he changes everything. Before this day, before Christianity, the whole world was sexist. Where they thought men were better than women. But Jesus comes and he changes everything. You know, before Christianity, the whole world, you know, they looked down. They had the different classes and cultures and they wouldn't hang out together. Jesus comes and he, and he just changes everything. And we're going to see that in our study today and so they said you got to come to our house peter says okay you're summoning me for a sermon sounds like a plan stay here tonight and then we'll go and so we read in verse 24 and the following day they entered caesarea now cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends as peter was coming in cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him (laughs) But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And so they, you know, they go to Caesarea, probably a couple of days. Uh, they arrive at the house, and they find it packed with family and friends because we really should have a heart for our family to be saved, huh? our friends, right? And so uh, Cornelius is, is overwhelmed with the presence of Peter, so much so that he falls down at his feet to worship him. And then Peter lifts him up and sets him straight. And he says, listen, I'm just a, a man like you, right? And, and just as a quick side note here, I, I just don't get it. I don't get how people don't get this, you know. If you were to travel to uh, Rome today, you visit Vatican City, you go to St. Peter's Basilica, you would find a statue there of Peter and you would see people lined up in front of it. They would all be waiting their turn to do what? To kiss the feet of Peter and to touch his feet. And supposedly, they say, in the process of that prayer to Peter's statue right there, that they would receive some sort of blessing. You know, I think we got a couple of pictures uh, to show you. And so on the left side right here, you see... You know, the people lined up to, uh, to go to Peter's statue. That statue's been there for 800 years. And then on the right side right here, you see people uh, touching his feet, kissing his feet, praying to him that he would somehow give them a blessing. 
You know, and, and so the crazy thing about it is that over the past 800 years, so many people have done this, kissed his feet, touched his feet in prayer to Peter, which I believe is worship. You know, if you're here today and you're like, well, I like to pray to, you know, these other people too because they're kind of like in good relationship with God and they need to go through mediaries. You know, that's worship. That's forbidden in the Bible. You don't pray to anybody but God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, Verse 5, that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so, you know, they're there. They're praying to the statue. They're praying to Peter. They're touching. They're kissing. And to me, it's just crazy how so many have done this. And, 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 and in the process, what we find is that they've actually worn his foot down. So many have done this. We have another picture that shows his foot now, and it's all messed up, man. You can't even see the toes anymore. The, why? Because so many people have done this clearly, contradicting, completely contradicting what we read in the Bible. Look at verse 25 again. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and he said, stand up. I'm just a man. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, you, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You know, and we're, we're here, we live in of all places, the United States of America, which in many ways is a melting pot. And even though racism still exists, you know, for the most part, man, we see a lot of progress in that. But, you know, you got to put yourself back in this culture. Most people back then were pretty much, in one sense, racist. They were exclusive. Uh, people really wouldn't eat with people of other ethnicities the Jews especially, primarily because they had misinterpreted the law that God had given them. It got so bad in those days, it was so bad that the Jews came to a point, many of them believed that the only reason there were Gentiles that existed was because they were to fuel the fires of hell. That's how strongly the Jews believed that they were the only ones and the rest were unclean and you couldn't eat with them. You you couldn't go into their house. I mean, it was just an awful thing. But, but God, when you read the Bible, he never built such walls. But, and, and now he's about to break them down, all the barriers. You know, when, you, when we as Christians, we have to be careful too, you know, because we do love Israel. And I believe that God will bless those who bless Israel. But we love everyone. That's the way it works. Yes, salvation is of the Jews. And that through them, the Messiah has come, our Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Jews, we have the scriptures. You know, we have the 66 books of the Bible. All of them written by Jews, except for two. That is Luke and Acts. And so, you know, you, you, you know, salvation is of the Jews. Scriptures are of the Jews. God goes to the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, but was, it was never, ever just for the Jews. You know, Peter says something so important here in verse 28. Notice again what he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. See, when you're a true 
theist, like in the real God, you're not a racist. Never. No, those who have truly discovered God's love for them, if you've truly discovered it, then you've also discovered God's love for all. Jew and Gentile, men and women, rich and poor, it doesn't matter. You know, Paul would later write in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's an important passage, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't distinctions. You know, I don't know about you, but how many of you here love the different flavors and food from all around the world? How many of you guys are like that? Yes, Lord. (laughs) You know, the accents. I I love the accents, the cultures. I love the varieties and nationalities and the differences really between the sexes. There's a difference. Even though he says there's no longer male nor female, you're like, well, what does that mean? You know, a man should be a man. And a man is better than a woman at being a man. That's the way it should be, right? And a woman is better than a man at being a woman. There is still a distinction. Be a man. If you're a man, be a woman. Be a lady if you're a woman, right? But well, what we're seeing here, there's still Jews. There's still Israel. God established them in 1948. They came back to the land. They regained Jerusalem in 1967. I mean, that's an amazing prophecy when you read Ezekiel 36 and 37. It says that in the last days, all the Jews would come back to the land. It's an amazing prophecy when you read that. And, and so, you know, you're reading through, and then what comes next? That Russian invasion in, in Ezekiel chapter 38. So the Jews, they're, they're a sign to the world. So that's why, you know, when we as Christians, we love the Jews uh, and for so many reasons. I think there is something very special and beautiful about them. But I also see that across the board. I see that in every person, in every nation. And God does too. So what is it about the Jews? Well, they're a sign of fulfilled prophecy. The enemy comes against them because he's trying to thwart God's plan. That's all that is. You know, God's not saying there aren't any differences, but he is saying there aren't any spiritual advantages. They used to think so, but they were wrong. He loves all of us the same with a perfect love, none any better than another. And Peter here after walking with the Lord for three and a half years, after, you know, 10 years after the cross, God is still showing him in verse 28 that, that he's not to call any man common or unclean, which is interesting when you think about that, even of itself, that every person made in the image of God and is valued and loved by him, um, it's, it's an important thing, you know, for us to realize. And I, and I also want to say this to you, because you might even see yourself as, as, as common or unclean. Some people, they have that mentality, not that they're necessarily looking down on others, but they look down on themselves. And I, I want to encourage you to know, man, that you shouldn't, that you're not common, you're not you know, unclean, you're the apple of his eye. And so we're learning these things. And so we read next, as Peter's there, he comes and And then he questions. He says in verse 29, Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? 
So Cornelius said, well, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, that's the angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call for Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. And so check out verse 33. This is so cool. This is every pastor's dream. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, we're here, and we're ready to hear, you know. And, and what we see here is just so amazing. Cornelius, he relays the story, and, uh, and he says, Peter, you know, the Lord told us for you to come. Thank you for coming. We're ready to hear God's message. And so we read next in verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and, and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he says, we are his witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and, and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Now he talks about the cross. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, after he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, and here it is, it's so simple, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And he just preaches the message. It's, it's not a cookie-cutter approach. You know, Jesus came. He did the works that he did. He was sent by the Father. You know, he died on a cross. He rose again. And as he preaches Jesus, and this is what he says, this is his, his, his name. It's his name that, that washes away your sins. It's not your prayers, it's not your charity, it's not your moral upright conduct, it's not your church attendance, it's not your Bible reading. It's not the things that you might think make you right with God. You know, it's not you even being perfect, you know. Sometimes we, we feel like we need to have it, get it all together, you know. No, it's, it's by faith. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to, you know, I mean, do different things. I mean, I don't want to give you all the details, but, <laughs> you know, like a, a lot of guys out there, you know, they, they have, uh, I don't know, they have sex before marriage. You know, they get drunk, they get high. They don't really know what love is. 
I mean, nowadays you've got a lot of deadbeat dads. You've got a lot of crazy things going on in the world. And uh, I don't know, I was lost. I used to go to church. I used to read my Bible, but I didn't know the Lord until one day when I put my faith in Christ. I mean, it, it was just, it was from the heart. Not intellectually, but it was from the heart. I said, Jesus, you're the one, huh? You, uh, there's no other way. It's not going to be my conduct. It's not going to be me, you know, jumping through hoops or, or, you know, crossing the T, dotting the I. I just, I'm desperate need of your righteousness. Up to that point in my life, I've been playing church, but I did not know the Lord. And then I understood, I got to believe. I got to trust. I got to trust in Christ. And I got to make it happen from the heart, not the head. And then the moment I did, he came into my life. And that's the way it works. You know what? I'm going to say this to you guys. And, and, you know, you know. You know. If you know the Lord, and you know if you don't. There are some of you here, you, you just, you don't really know for sure where you stand. And you wonder about whether or not you really know the Lord. You wonder about your salvation because you're not saved. You know what, and we're going to see later, there, there's, there's ways that you can tell whether or not you're saved. There's an inner witness, there's an outer witness. You don't really like coming to church. You, your only reason you're here is because someone made you come or you feel obligated. You know, you don't really want to read your Bible. You don't really want to pray. You don't really love everyone. You need to, you need to, we need to make sure that we're all in. Well, okay, Lord, I mean, I, I just has to come from the heart. And then when you, when you hear the name of Jesus, you're like, okay, I'm going to embrace. You know, sometimes it has to do with the fact that you don't want to let go of your sins. You know, and that gets in the way. You know, Pastor Raw, he would always give the illustration of a monkey, and the way they would catch monkeys is they would take a coconut, and they would attach it to the ground, and they would just you know, fasten it there, then they would drill a hole in it, they would put some rice inside of it, and then the monkey would put his hand in, and he would get the rice, and he would clench his fist, but then he couldn't, he couldn't get out, he was trapped. And so they would come, they would kill him, you know how they, you know, it's crazy, all he had to do was let go of the rice, all he had to do was let go of it, and he'd be free, and a lot of times that's what's going on in people's lives, that the real reason they don't know the Lord is because they're not willing to let go of their sin. And there are people that come, and even though this is a cool church, I mean, we have super nachos at this church, man. <laughs> you don't really know the Lord. And you guys know, huh? Because one day when we die, and we're going to stand before God. There's, there's going to be a lot of people there who are, were surprised that, wow, you made it? And they're going to be like, wow, you made it? Wow, I'm surprised you made it. Because it's by faith. And, and I don't know how it's all going to work, but somehow we're going to be surprised that so-and-so didn't make it. 
Man, they were there every, every week. I know exactly where they sat. I can identify them in the congregation. They were involved in ministry. And you know who you are. And Peter here is just, he's just preaching, you know, the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. And as he's preaching, look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Wow, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. And to me, it's interesting. And it's really a a theological truth. There's soteriology here. There's no altar call. They don't ask him to raise the hand. Um, There's no sinner's prayer that they're led in. I mean, they just right there, as they're hearing the message about Jesus, they decide to believe and receive. I'm turning from my own life. I'm going to trust in Christ. No more religion. No more me trusting in my own righteousness. I'm going to cast myself at Jesus' feet today. And that moment, they're saved. And the reason we knew it happened right there and then is because the Holy Spirit fell on them and the ones who prior to this whole thing were just religious are now made righteous and they speak in tongues you know they're all speaking in tongues right there and so um does that mean you have to speak in tongues to be saved no but what you'll find peter you guys know in matthew chapter 16 verse 18 jesus gave him the keys right you guys know that and so a lot of people think well that means he gave him he has the keys to heaven And so a lot of people will say then, Peter, um, you know, when you go to heaven, you're going to stand before Peter and he's going to decide whether or not to let you in. Okay, that's not uh, what that means. What it means is God gave Peter the keys and through him, there would be three doors that would be opened. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 10. He would open the door to the Jews and on the day of Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 8, Samaritans, the Holy Spirit came. Because Philip had gone before them, they got saved, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit yet. And so they're speaking in tongues. And then right here, they're speaking in tongues. And you want to know what that is? It's just an evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit. To them, back then, that was a visible sign. Now, for us today, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to speak in tongues, but there should be evidence in your life. The Spirit of God is in you? Let me ask you something. Is there a change? To me, and Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the greatest sign is not tongues. It's love. It's love. Let me ask you a question. Are you a loving person? Is that how your husband would describe you or your wife? You're like, oh, Manny, don't go there. (laughs) They know you. Your kids, your God, 
Why speak in tongues? You know, nowadays it's crazy. There's a lot of counterfeits. But you can't, you can't fake the funk of love. Is there evidence? Do you want to read the Bible? Do you want to go to church? Do you want to do spiritual things? Do you want to share the Lord? Is there evidence in your life that you're a Christian? You know, I pray that there, there would be. You know, what we find is that the Spirit of God, He comes into a person's life and He just makes it evident. You know, I just pray, you guys, that in looking at this, that wherever you're at, maybe you're the Peter, you're going to go out and share the Lord with people. You're going to share Jesus with people. You know, maybe you're the Cornelius and you got to come and take that next step to go beyond religion into a relationship with the Lord. But don't be afraid. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And if you're here today and you're not sure, then you just ask the Lord, Lord, work in my life, work in my life, work in my life because I want to make sure that I know you. Let me give you three words in closing, okay? Number one is the word equally. The word equally. And in, in our lesson today, we learn that God loves everyone equally. Okay? All right. Number two is the word perfectly. Perfectly. That when you stand before God, if you want to go to heaven, you have to stand perfectly. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by the blood of Jesus. And what I found is that, you know, when I place my faith in Christ and I realize I'm not worthy to preach, I'm not worthy to do anything, but I know that I'm forgiven, that he washes away our sins and allows us to stand before him perfectly. We learned that today. Equally, he loves everyone. Perfectly, I stand before him in Christ. And then the third word is the word publicly. Publicly. You know, speaking in tongues, people would hear it. I mentioned to you that the work of the Holy Spirit is something called love. And, and, and when that happens, there's, there's a, just a changed life, you know. And what happens is that, you know, that, that people see that, you know. It even talks later, okay, let's go get, you know, you guys got to get baptized, you know. And it becomes public. You're a different person now. Has there been that change? Is it evident? Is there, are you a witness? Can people see that the love of Jesus Christ is in your life? I pray that we would allow the Lord to work. And, you know, I know for me, it doesn't mean that we're, we're perfect. We're going to sin. We're going to fail. You know, every once in a while, you're going to get into some intense fellowship with your spouse, and even if you are, you know, saved and stuff. But you, don't, you know it's not something you like. And, you, and you're just really, you're working on these things. I'm going to give you guys the dorky illustration, and then we'll close, okay? We should have the musicians come up and rescue me from this. But, um, you know, like love. I think to me, love is the key. And, and, and sometimes we're even good at loving strangers better than we are our own family. And then God is just, he's just dealing with me and he's saying, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you know, whatever, this thing, these things happen. He says, Manny, you seem to do well when everything's going good. You, you seem to be a very loving person when everything's smooth. 
huh? And I said, yeah, Lord. And then when, you know, they kind of come against me, then I fail miserably sometimes. And the Lord showed me it was kind of like a basketball player playing basketball. And he's able to, you guys, because we're in the playoffs right now, amen? All right. All right. So, you know, he's playing basketball. He's able to do a layup every time. Man, this is easy. Does that make him a basketball player? No, you throw another player in there with some opposition. Now, let's see what happens. And, and the Lord kind of showed me that. You know, if you can still score, then maybe you're a basketball player. When there's opposition, then maybe you're a basketball player. Well, now we take that illustration and we turn it, are you a Christian? With love. Yeah. Because I love when things are easy. But then when there's temptation and opposition and struggles, that's when you fail. Well, homeboy, that's how, it, that's how you're able to tell whether or not you're a Christian. And so I pray that we would say, okay, Lord, change my heart. I'm going to love no matter what comes my way because I want to prove even to myself that I really do know you. And if you're here today and you, you know, you're not sure where you stand, I'm going to pray for you. Open up your heart. Because we want to make sure, man, that you know, one day when we're home in glory, that we can have that garden of Sodom reunion. I want all of you guys to be there. I really do.